Welcome to the Voices in Union podcast with Reggie Jackson and Maria Hamilton. Good morning, Maria. Good morning, Reggie. How are you? I'm doing great. Good to see you. Uh, wanted to talk a little bit about your Juneteenth experience uh, last Friday. Tell, tell, tell us about that. Uh, me and one of the other moms who lost a child a year ago, uh, since the coronavirus, she hadn't really... Um, did anything to celebrate him except for her personal endeavorings. So we, one morning, me and her couldn't sleep. It had to be like two or three in the morning. I seen that she was active on Facebook. So I called her and she was like, well, I'm really kind of complexive because I talked with a couple of moms about preparing food since they're not going to have Juneteenth. And I was like, that's a good idea. I, I told her I would help her. And three or four days later, there we were, serving 400 people. Um, and it was really amazing because we actually had the opportunity to take turns um, leaving our event and actually going to congregate with the people who actually painted the Black Lives Matter um, down on, what was that, Locust? And, Locust and MLK? Yeah. That, oh, my God. It was amazing to see the babies out doing that. <laughs> and it was, it, was, it was really an awesome experience. Um, I got the opportunity to actually speak with some community people who don't protest or don't really come out, but Juneteenth is activities that they have been doing for their time here in Milwaukee, actually walking over and um, just conversating and, you know, being around people in Milwaukee. So it was really good for me to actually interact with those people um, outside of, you know, being in a protest or a rally. So uh, it was good for me. It was good that they had the opportunity to come out because I, I kept hearing that, oh, my God, I thought I would never meet you, you know, and I'm like, uh, I'm not celebrity. <laughs> I'm just a mother who won't shut up. So that was really, really nice for them to have that experience and, you know, to get all the support for the work that I've been doing. So I know that I'm headed in the right direction because they're still keeping me lifted in prayer. So. That yeah. was really, really powerful for me. Yeah, that's that's great. You know, uh, almost 50 years of consecutive celebrations of Juneteenth in Milwaukee, one of the longest, if not the longest in the country, okay. was first celebrated back in 1971. And I think uh, I read that the largest celebration we had was uh, in 1977. Almost 150,000 people were there. 
Mm. And that was back when it stretched all the way from North Avenue all the way to Burleigh. It was much bigger than the celebrations have been in recent years. But I, I was I was talking to someone the other day, and uh, my first time that I remember going to Juneteenth was shortly after I moved back to Milwaukee in the early 90s. I went, I believe that summer of 94, and uh, what was surprising to me was how much food they had there. They had so many right. food vendors. And my most memorable food I, I, I bought that day was uh, was uh, this turkey leg, this uh. turkey leg that was really big. <laughs> And man, it had so many flavors in it. It was delicious. And I was like, by the end of the day, I was like, I got to get one of these to go to get home. But I just remember the, you know, just the joy of, of, you know, the black community coming together, having something that belonged to us, that we were able to celebrate our ancestors and celebrate, you know, our struggles through the years and be there with the youngest to the oldest members of the community, just enjoying each other in a very positive way. And, you know, when I look back on this last Friday, after all of the stuff we've been through the last several weeks with all of the protests, it was nice to be able to get people together to have something very positive-minded uh, and, and shine a positive light on the day that's very important in our community. I, I was really happy uh, that people celebrated with us. And, you know, uh, of course, you know, President Trump tried to say he made Juneteenth famous uh, but this this the same man that, that, that thought Frederick Douglass was still alive a few years ago. <laughs> we understand that Juneteenth has been around for a long time for us, and, and it's been considered, you know, a, a really important moment in our lives. So, you know, now, now that we get back to, you know, the, the business of, you know, restructuring whatever reforms happen within policing, what are some of your thoughts on some of the things you've heard about over the last couple of weeks with reform of the Milwaukee Police Department? Um, I know that they're moving forward on doing some um, policy changes. So there's actually a meeting coming up with the uh, fire police commissioners and there are commands, uh, Mm -hmm. demands that we're actually asking of them. um, And also... We want a special prosecutor that has no ties to the state of Wisconsin mm-hmm. or to um, the the politics of of, of the state, uh, which is um, GOPs, and we're uh, I'm working with still working with um, Mrs. Tina Noel Lawson on voters registration and making sure that everybody gets a ballot and they're actually able to cast their ballots. And we have a way of actually checking to make sure that our ballot is counted for the August and uh, November um, election. Uh, I can actually tell you all because I, I believe that this recording will uh, be given to the public tomorrow or later than tonight. We have a letter that's going to um, Congress. Uh, we're asking the House and the Senate to ask the sign on to our demands. And these are moms internationally from the Mothers of the Movement organization 
that I'm in. And this Tina Noel Lawson, who is Beyonce's mom, is actually leading the force and doing um, and submitting the letters to them. So it'll actually be submitted to them today. And she'll also be doing interviews with today and other, I think she's supposed to be on the, the iHeart radio station and a couple of other media outlets. So I just want to applaud her for efforts and just stepping up to give us voice, to give our kids voice uh, in our fight for uh, Black America right now, um, which is the voters, uh, the voters suppression and also police killings in in the United States. Yeah, you know, I was I was reading uh, about the election they're going to be having in uh, Kentucky. Uh, and, you know, as bad as we thought it was with the city of Milwaukee only having five polling places instead of 180, uh-huh. they're literally only going to have one polling place per county in Kentucky. So the county that, that Louisville is in, uh-huh. 767,000 residents in that county, uh-huh. they have one polling place. That's I, I know that, not to cut you off, but that's Miss McCarroll State. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it, it just it goes to show that despite what people should have learned from the Wisconsin election on April 7th, the Georgia election, uh, Kentucky has not learned anything. And then I say, listen, if you haven't learned from those experiences and, and you're only having one polling station per county, then this is intentional. You're intentionally trying to disenfranchise people. You can't say that it's anything other than that, because when you expect, you know, hundreds of thousands of people to be able to show up to one polling place in in the center of Louisville, when they live maybe 50 miles away from Louisville, right? you know, and a lot, you know, we know a lot of poor people don't have transportation, uh, things of that nature. People just aren't as mobile as they need to be. It it, it clearly shows disenfranchisement at work. In addition to that, uh, as of July 15th, I believe, they're going to have a voter ID law in place in the state of Kentucky as well. So people who want to register for the election in August uh, and, and, you know, the election in November uh, in Kentucky, they actually have to get an ID and and register with a voter ID before they're eligible to vote in the the, the presidential election uh, and and single elections or whatnot in November there. So that's a big change that's taking place. They're adding to the list of over 20 states that have those laws in place. And they've all been in place really since um, the black electorate in, in 2008, 2012 helped propelled Obama to presidency, and in 2012, we had the highest black voter turnout rate in the history of the United States. It was even higher than the white voter turnout rate, which was really surprising to a lot of people. Uh, And then it went down in 2016, and people wanted to say black people, you know, they stopped voting, they didn't vote. 700 and some thousand less black people voted. It's like, yeah, you know why? Because these states put these voter ID laws in place on purpose. Right. They started to purge voting rolls on purpose. So don't blame us for something that other people did to disenfranchise us and then say, oh, look, they're not voting. Right. But you should not have been surprised that less black people voted. But that's kind of the narrative that's been out there and really bothers me when when people come up to me and say, we got to make sure black people vote. You know, you're really, reason Trump 
won uh, Wisconsin in 2000, you know, 16, so not enough black people in our field. I'm like, listen, we, we less than 6% of the eligible voters in the state of Wisconsin. How can we be responsible for somebody winning an election when we not even 6% of the vote? You better talk to some of these people in these little rural communities that voted for Donald Trump uh, and ask them uh, why they voted uh, against Hillary Clinton because ultimately you cannot blame the black community for Donald Trump winning Wisconsin. Right, right. Uh, it's just it's stupid to do that. You know, but, you know, the people tried to tell me that, too. And I knew that we were actually, as far as voters were concerned, a, black, uh, a, a Bernie candidate uh, filled state. And once he didn't win against Hillary, I, I, I had so many people come and tell me that, no, we're not voting for her. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of people in Wisconsin who was asking for Bernie that decided not to vote as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know a lot of the Bernie. You know, a lot of people don't talk that. Yeah, a lot of Bernie supporters I know were really frustrated that he didn't get the nomination, and they told him that they weren't going to vote. I don't know if they right. did or not, but I'm heading up to the election. They basically said they're not going to vote for Hillary Clinton. You right. know, she's not a very popular person. She right. did win. She did win the popular vote, though. She should be president right now. I mean, right. you know, I've argued about the Electoral College and the stupidity of that for years. Right. That's the only election anywhere on the planet where the person that gets the most votes can actually lose. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. That would yeah. be like the Packers playing in the Super Bowl, you know, next year, and they playing New England Patriots, and they score 31 points, New England scored 17, and they give the Lombardi trophy to, to the New England yeah. Patriots. People yep. would be riding in the streets. Yep. They'd be, oh, there's no way. You know, the Packers won the game. Yeah. They scored more points. But the person that got more votes in the election, oh, we okay with her losing the election. It don't make no sense. It's, cra- it's the craziest thing ever. And and I tell people who argue that, oh, it's a good system. I'm like, it's so great. How come nobody else on the planet has a, has adopted an electoral college system? Right. It's so, if it's right. so wonderful, that, that is so great. How come nobody else has People can be bought and promises could be given to these people and it don't mean nothing. It's not worth the ink that that they use to write it on paper. It's just it's a sham. Yeah. yeah. It's so so tell me a little bit more about what you, what you got uh, going on over these next uh, you know, week, two weeks. What's going on with you? Anything special going on? Um, well the letter is actually going to go to uh, to Congress mm-hmm. today by by the end of the day. So I, I want to say 11.59, they should have it uh, up on the hill. And then uh, we're working on getting people who have felonies registered to vote. Uh, I'm working with This Is Why I Vote organization. They have a campaign that's nationally, and there are many artists and uh, like Taraji and uh, Lisa Keys and all of them have actually signed the word to this letter. I don't want to disclose a lot uh, because okay. it is actually going to, um, they, they come ask us not to disclose what's in the letter, right. but uh, it has police uh, reform and voters. Um, we we want them to stop 
stopping people from voting. If, if you really want things done right in America, why would you want to oppress people from using their voice? You know, and if you're not going to give us that, we're going to get you out of office. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the other things that I've, I've had a lot of conversations with people about over the last week or so is, you know, this idea of defunding the police department. You know, mm -hmm. the, the Common Council talked about cutting 10% of the budget for the Milwaukee Police Department. I, I had a really interesting conversation with a, with a former police officer, and, and mm -hmm. she, she had a very interesting perspective on it. I've been trying to get the perspectives of black former police officers, I know they can speak freely once they're not on the force anymore. They right. have their guarantee. They can, you know, really tell you what their their real thoughts are. And one of the things that she said that was really, I think, very eye-opening for me was she said, people don't understand how this works, is that the police officers have a union and they have a contract. When they become a police officer, they sign a contract. And that contract stipulates that there's certain things they can and can't do, certain things they can't and they can't say. And so we talk about this blue wall of silence. It's really not just about blue wall of silence. It's really about, you know, contractually, there's certain things they can't open their mouth and say. And, and just as importantly, what she shared with me is that if you're talking about defunding the police department, that's almost 400 officers that are under contract. You can't just arbitrarily cancel contracts uh, it's, it's not as easy as people think it is. And so I, I'll be really interested in, in hearing more details from the Common Council about what their plan is because, you know, it's really easy right now to say we're going to defund this and defund that because that's kind of, you know, a, a buzzword going around the country right now. But tell me what your plan is. And, and if you're going to cut that budget for the police department, what are you going to do with those funds? What are you going to shift those funds to? Are you going to shift those funds in a way that will be helpful to the community that's asking for help for the last 50, you know, 50 years and not getting it? Or are you going to put the money in the hands of people that are running organizations that we don't really support all that much because they're not run by people from our community? I mean, I, I, I advocate, and I've been advocating for this for years, is that the disinvestment that the city has made in the city of Milwaukee needs to be reversed in a major way. If you can find funds to, to spend money downtown and in the third ward and build all of this brand new stuff and bring businesses in, there's no reason you can't do the same thing in the black community. We have money too. We spend money. We just have to go to the white communities because we don't have enough businesses in our community. So there's no excuse in my opinion, that they shouldn't invest that money in the, the parts of the, the, the city that I drive around in and, and look and see raggedy, boarded-up houses everywhere I go, vacant lots everywhere I go. There's no excuse for them not to shift that money to our community and make our community a healthier place to live, a safer place to live, a place that, that could actually be uh, a place that we enjoy living instead of walking out of our houses and seeing that nobody really cares about us because of the condition of the community. I'm hoping that that's part of their plan. Because uh, right now, hearing them coming to defunding, it, it doesn't it doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't mean a whole lot to me. It, it don't for me neither. Like you said, they're the only union that actually survived Scott Walker uh, when he uh, got rid of all of the unions in the state. And a lot of the activists and different grassroots organizations are talking about 
giving this money to the schools and to um, help the mentally ill in the communities. And I mean, yeah, we need help, but we're actually fighting with the school system now because they got $76 million. The kids were actually through the coronavirus was supposed to have been getting meals. What happened to that money? There was money also given to them so the kids would have uh, iPads so they could actually do their schoolwork while they were out for the coronavirus. I, I know for a fact at least five high schools and middle schools didn't receive those iPads. Where's the money going? What What is the... Uh, Milwaukee public school system doing with this money. We need to see an itemized statement uh, on how this money was spent. If y'all don't have the money, where'd it go? Because it didn't go in the classrooms. So that was one of the reasons why I actually supported the kids last week when they did the protest trying to find out where's this money going. We keep asking for money so y'all can better serve and give our kids a better education, and you're not doing it. But then when we take our kids out of the public school and go to choice, then all of a sudden, well, y'all, y'all, y'all take your money from our kids and from their education. Okay, the people who are in place, they've been in place. And what are you all doing with this money? Because the education is the better. And I have I have grandkids in public school. I have grandkids in choice school. And I can see the difference in in their learning and what they're learning. Well, you know, I was a teacher for eight years, and, you know, I, I, my opinions about kind of education vary uh, based on my experience, and, and you know, but, but one thing that I, I really want want to see put in place, Maria, mm-hmm. is, is, is transparency when it comes to, to this type of funding that people are talking about putting in our community. You know, we heard after Sherman Park, uh, you know, the unrest there in 2016, we heard that there was $50 million being invested, right? Right. I, I don't know where any of that money where, went. I mean, well, right. we know that part of it went to, to building Sherman Phoenix and, and helping those entrepreneurs there. But, you know, we don't have any accounting of where the money went. No. And I'm hoping that if, if we do things moving forward, that we find some accountability for it. Because ultimately, if you talk about the X number of billions of dollars spent downtown in the third ward, somebody can tell you exactly where the money went. Yeah. They know exactly who got it, what right. they got it for, what they did right. with it. But when the money comes to our community, it's like, well, uh, we gave you all $50 million. Who did you give it to? Right, right, we right. need to know. Like, right. Come on. Right. It, it shouldn't be a mystery. Don't tell us. Because if you're just saying you gave it to our community, that, that doesn't mean that we got it. We don't trust it. Okay, you said you gave us $50 million, but you don't tell us who you gave it to. We don't have a clue who it went to. And moving forward, we have to make sure that that's not the case. We, we can't be duped into believing stuff so easily and not holding people accountable and making them transparent when it comes to these types of things. Because we've been through this way too many times before. Right. And if you go to these other areas, the third ward, you can actually see the money. 
how yeah. disrespectful that yeah. is to those families. That, that shows me that there's somebody, you know, and we'll talk about racism and, you know, unconscious bias. But I'm, I keep telling people, like, I think we're overplaying unconscious bias. Obviously, there's a lot of that. But believe me, there's a whole heck of a lot of conscious bias out there, too. So is. And, and is we need to start really? having conversations about that because this is, you know, just despicable that somebody would be that disrespectful to those families. And, and to look and see that, you know, this race car driver, Bubba Watson, had a noose hanging in, in his stall for the NASCAR race in Talladega, Alabama, yeah. uh, you know, just days after NASCAR claimed they were banning, you know, Confederate flags and stuff. Uh, you know, it shows that we have a long way to go. There's a lot of, of, of pushback. There's a lot of white people that, that are just never going to change their mindset. We have to understand that. You know, there's a lot of, you know, good good, you know, uh, allies that we have that are white people. There's a lot of well-meaning whites that are part of this current protest, but there's a whole heck of a lot of people that feel the exact opposite way. And I keep telling people that's part of this, this, this white backlash is coming. To me, that's another example. It is. It is. Those, those photographs. The, well, even with them doing the photograph with the news, we've had five people to be found hung mm-hmm. in trees. And yep. we have the media and the system saying that it was suicide. How do yep. a child who's five foot six, wear 120 pounds, hang himself in the noose on a tree? Yeah. Well, I know one of those cases that, that there was some video evidence. Uh, from a nearby business, and they showed mm-hmm. that the young man actually did commit suicide. His family was upset because mm-hmm. they said there's no way he would never do that to himself. And then, you know, they didn't really see the, the evidence of it. You know, but, but anytime those types of things happen, it, it, it's disturbing because if your assumption right away is that it was suicide, you know, what are you basing that on? I mean, there's other ways to commit suicide other than that, and for black folks in particular. For us to be in a position where we're thinking that that's, you know, automatically uh, our, our, our means of, of, of taking our lives, uh, that, that's pretty disturbing to think that. But, you know, as we move forward, Maria, you know, there's always going to be different new stuff for us to talk about. Hopefully, the next time we get together, we can talk about, uh, you know, how Congress responds to, to the letter that you all are sending. Absolutely. Uh, what, what your organization's next steps are moving forward. Excited to hear about that. And, uh, you know, we'll see what this next week holds. Obviously, uh, from week to week, we never know what's going to be new, right? Uh, but hopefully, hopefully we have some more, some more positive things to talk about uh, right. moving forward. So uh, you take care until next time, Maria. Have a great day. Thank you. Uh, enjoy, enjoy this warm weather. Yes. Right. All right. <laughs> All right. Take care, Maria. Bye-bye. You too. Bye.